Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Uh, Mike, uh, your beloved Burnley aren't doing so well this year, are they? No, they've had a, a bad start to the season and it's still carrying on. But uh, we're not at Christmas yet and uh, uh, I think it's time for us to stay up. Uh, Doug, you being an international man of all things sophisticated, of course you love the beautiful game that is football as well, don't you? Absolutely, it's the one true sport. Oh, you do? Yeah. Listen, I said that somewhat tongue-in-cheek and it's somewhat taken my breath away. So who do you support then, Doug? Anybody who's got the ball. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in a somewhat wet San Francisco, but that wetness has washed all the smoke away, so we cannot complain. But I must admit, I am worrying about my impending birthday. Today, I am joined by writer and foodie and somewhat wishy-washy football fan, Doug Levy in San Francisco, and by the voice of the North, Mike Holden in Burnley in England. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello. Uh, good evening from me and good morning to you. In a week that is in the British PM cling onto office by her fingertips, we question why is immigration and the fear of immigration such an important topic on both sides of the Atlantic? This morning, the White House is defending the use of tear gas at the southern border. We're sending a clear message to the caravans and to the trespassers. Turn around, go back home. President Trump is also threatening to close that border for good. Mexico doesn't disperse the group of gathering migrants. If we didn't show them strength at a strong border and nobody's shown a stronger border, you would have hundreds of thousands of people pouring into our country. Mexico now says about 100 of the people who rushed a major border crossing on Sunday have been arrested and deported. According to U.S. officials, they were mostly adult men. U.S. authorities are processing less than 100 asylum applications a day. So this is a backlog with no end in sight. Are you children? Uh, they're not, as you know, they're not. Uh, they had to use because they were being rushed by some very tough people. 
But among those caught in the chaos was Maria Mesa, running away with her twin five-year-old daughters. Her escape captured in this dramatic photograph. When I see that photo, I just want to cry, she says, claiming that she wasn't crossing the border illegally, but instead trying to apply for asylum. What's your message for the Trump administration in El Calasurio? Look at who's causing problems and who isn't, she says. Fear of immigrants and immigration was the not-so-secret source that led to Trump's presidential victory and that made the UK vote to leave the EU in 2016. The outgoing Republican Congress largely supports Trump's restrictionist rhetoric on immigration. Doug, why are Republicans favouring their base over business in this thorny hot button topic? It is a puzzle that I don't know if we will ever fully be able to answer, but it's clearly a strategy to focus on people who are highly motivated by a single issue instead of what might be a little more painful and maybe less palatable, but more productive for the long-range economic growth of the country. And it's really turned things on its head because we are seeing on TV every day, we're seeing policies that are anti-immigration, anti-interaction with other countries, the very things that have fueled American and global economic growth. But the Republicans have an extremely passionate base It's 30% or so of the U.S. public. And within that group, 80% are completely fine with these anti-immigrant policies. That leaves the rest of us to help balance the act and make things a little more rational. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Mike, vote leave. The group that officially campaigned for Brexit falsely claimed that Turkey was about to join the EU back in 2016. They even unfurled a poster featuring Syrian and other asylum seekers marching through Eastern European fields next to the slogan breaking point. And Trump often cites MS-13 as the brown boogeymen coming to rape Americans and do all manner of bad things. Can someone actually express concern about immigration without it being dog whistle racism? it is possible to do, but I certainly don't think that the way that things are going at the moment, that um, either uh, Trump on your side of the Atlantic or uh, the uh, well, UK is uh, Nigel Farage's party on this side of the Atlantic are going the right way about it. From here, we've seen in past days Trump sending troops down to the Mexican border, which seemed to be a very obvious uh, dog whistle. I've seen today that uh, Mississippi has elected a candidate who actually spoke about attending public hangings, which is, is just the most astounding thing, to think that America would would hear that and would support that. But us Brits can't wash our hands of this as well, because, as I said in, in my uh, long-winded and convoluted question, that um, UKIP used similar tactics, didn't they? Maybe not as nakedly as the Mississippi senator who talked about you know attending a public lynching and wearing a Confederate hat, etc. But that asylum poster did infamously feature brown people, didn't it? It certainly did, yes. And if anything, that, that is still accelerating. I mean, uh, UKIP, um, there's, a, there's a guy here by the name of Tommy Robinson, 
uh, not his real name, but that's the name he goes by, who is uh, an associate of Steve Bannon's. Um, we'll put it no stronger than that, but uh, he's openly uh, anti-immigrant. He stands outside court cases uh, where immigrants have been tried and points the finger at uh, Islam and at Muslims. And he's just been uh, taken on board by UKIP as an advisor. So if anything, UKIP are moving further to the right and further into the anti-immigrant um, uh, agenda. So much so that actually Nigel Farage this week has said, I think that's a bit strong. If, if you're too racist for Nigel Farage, you're too racist. <laughs> um, let's come back over to you, Doug. Trump, whilst defending his administration's use of tear gas over the weekend and migrants attempting to gain entry to the US border at uh, Tijuana, he said, I would say the violence is very strong. We have over 500 people that are serious criminals and gang members. Um, doesn't the trouble at the US border show that there is some kind of crisis point regarding uh, immigration and asylum in the US? This isn't all just uh, bloviated rhetoric. Something did happen, didn't it? So separating the facts from the fiction is one of the challenges. And I, I have to say my colleagues in the media have not done a great job of this. But the fact is, there is a humanitarian crisis driven by the situation in Honduras, in Guatemala, uh, in Venezuela. Some of the other Latin American countries are in true crisis, and that has created a, an enormous flow of people escaping very dangerous, very bad conditions. Uh, some of these people are just economic refugees trying to come so that they can keep a roof over their head, but many of them are fleeing for their lives. That's very real. Anybody who's been to Honduras in the last couple of years knows how truly dangerous it is to live there. Even to be there just for a day is dangerous these days, which is terribly sad. Um, and the U.S. is the biggest economy, so it just makes sense that if you're trying to flee, you're going to go where the greatest number of possible jobs is going to be. That's the fact. What is different is that instead of funding the bureaucracies that are necessary to evaluate refugee claims, asylum claims, uh, that's all stopped. And under the previous two presidents, under Obama and Bush, we worked with our neighbors to the south so that there would be more opportunities south of our border for people to resettle. And for those who wanted to proceed, there were avenues to pursue that, as well as those who choose to come and cross the border illegally. It's been a problem. It's gotten worse because there are more refugees than before. And instead of processing any of these requests for asylum, the current administration has put all of its energy into law enforcement, and they've created an environment of hostility. And they've also made it harder for people to legitimately request asylum. I mean, it, the obstacles that we're putting in front of people who are in desperate situations is astounding. But, Doug, I, um, is this um, out-and-out uh, racism, or is this just pure short-termism when it comes to politics? Because it appears to me that, specifically on your side of the Atlantic, that all politics is just short-termism. 
Yes, it would make much more sense for the American government to work uh, for the medium and long term with the government of Honduras, Guatemala, etc., to try and alleviate some of those economic drivers that are uh, getting people to want to get in their caravans and to walk to the US border. But that's not good optics right now, is it? That That's something which um, you might you have to invest a whole load of money in and take a whole load of time to see any kind of results. We can just say, you know what, I'll build a wall. I'll have some tough looking guys on the border. I'll get the army down there. That looks much more strong and activist, doesn't it? That looks like you're actually getting something done as opposed to uh, talking. And so, as I say, is this really out and out racism or is this just pure short termism uh, and the two are kind of meeting somewhere in the middle? Well, I think from this side of the Atlantic, uh, Ryfield, I think we're seeing a, a similar thing here. Short termism is 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 ruling the day insofar as it's easier to find a boogeyman to point at than it is to address the problems. I mean, we've had pollster which helped uh, win a referendum that was not based on truth. We have pollsters that say uh, the Turkish are coming, which isn't based on any any truth. We had nine refugees arrive uh, in a boat. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, on British shores. And half the people here are just saying, oh, they just need to be sent back, rather than thinking where these people have come from, that people would climb nine into a four-man dinghy and try and cross the channel for fear of their lives. Instead of going back to where that problem began and trying to solve that, it's, it's short-term, isn't it? Send them back. UK immigration rules do allow us to take in immigrants and if they are not contributing to the society and to the uh, economy, to send them back. But the UK doesn't enforce those rules. And I think that is because it's easier to have the bogeyman there to point at than to deal with the problem. Well, and in fact, what's happening over here is we're creating new problems where other problems existed, so we're making things worse. Uh, and and it's just incredibly cruel to even suggest sending these people who have walked 2,000 miles back to where they came from, where they face an extremely bleak potential, uh, and many of them face almost certain death. That's not what we should be doing. You know, the, the other part, which is just offensive, is that, uh, you know, as as Mike said, it's you know it's creating a boogeyman. It's it's blaming these people who look different for problems that, in many cases, have nothing to do with them. Crime in the United States has almost nothing to do with immigrants. Even the gang violence that Trump so frequently talks about has almost nothing to do with immigration and has zero to do with the people who are trying to cross the border now. Mm. Do we understand? And, I, and this is a question. Uh, for both of you, uh, maybe Doug, you go first. Do we understand the difference between an immigrant, an asylum seeker, and a refugee? I think the president does not understand that, and he certainly doesn't seem to understand the treaties that the United States has signed that define those terms. Uh, I mean, international law is quite clear, and this has been adopted into U.S. statutes that uh, there is a difference between somebody who is fleeing because there's no economic activity where they're coming from and somebody who is fleeing because they have a legitimate fear that they're going to be killed if they stay where they were. And 
international law allows people who have a legitimate fear to cross the border any way they can and make their request for asylum. And there's a procedure that provides for how they're to be treated. And treating them as criminals is not part of that. Mike, same, same question to you. How does the average Brit view uh, an immigrant, a refugee, and, a, and an asylum seeker? Um, I wouldn't say that uh, the average person who doesn't want people on our shores draws much of a distinction. Uh, and and from, from my point of view, certainly, the distinction shouldn't really be drawn. I mean, th- there's been some talk uh, this week about um, some people coming to our shores being economic migrants and i think the same has been said in america but the point of that is if you're an economic migrant and you come onto our shores you're more than likely to get a job pay taxes contribute to society and if you're an immigrant or if you are a sorry if you're an asylum seeker or a refugee you're coming here because you're fearing for your life you have very little uh, alternative but to escape to some place and okay yes you will try and escape to somewhere like america or somewhere like the uk that um provides a, a decent life but those people we should be taking in because it's the right thing to do and people who are coming here as economic migrants should be taken in because they're helping contribute to the economy uh, it's not the way that some people in this country think but Mike, it, it isn't Britain full? We're just absolutely full. We've had these immigrants coming over for some 70 years and whatever. We can't take any more. We're not like America. America is a land which is, you know, has unboundless uh, size and whatever. Uh, Britain, small, cramped, damp. Uh, right, Phil, mate. I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's bollocks. Um, <laughs> the UK... <laughs> Uh, there was a recent stat, and if I can find it, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it out for you. The UK has more golf courses, more area used for golf courses than it has for houses. As I say, if I can find the numbers, I'll give them to you. But the and, UK and, has and more the land of the area. United And the President of the United States owns a couple of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'd be after taking uh, refugees on them, though. I'll be honest about that. But uh, no, we, we are far from full. Um, I've seen a, a demographic graph this week of um, Europe. The highly population dense areas are actually the centres where, where, where there is plenty of good economic activity and, and, and are seen as the attractive areas like London, like Paris, like Madrid. Um, there is certainly room if we need it. The, the thing that is causing us to have no room and a stretch on resources in the UK is not a handful of immigrants, economic migrants or refugees arriving on our shores. It's the government, successive governments, removing uh, housing from the, from the stock, running down the health service so we don't have the uh, capacity to cope with the people we've got and then pointing the finger at the few extra who come on our shores. All right. Okay. Doug, uh, let's go back over to you. Um, why do some Democrats want to abolish ICE, the Immigration Customs Enforcement Agency? Surely that just shows you that the Democrats aren't serious about uh, the border and about control and about who's in the country. Well, I think what you have just done is repeated a canard that the Republicans have turned into one of their talking points. Can I just say, 
Doug, let, let me applaud you, sir, for using the word canard. In four years of doing this program, no one's ever used it before. So uh, welcome to you. Continue with your answer, sir. So it is true that a few Democratic politicians have called for the abolition of ICE, not because they want to stop border enforcement. Their concern is that the way the border enforcement is structured currently does not work very well because it is an emphasis on enforcement and not enough on processing the requests. If somebody comes here and wants to request asylum, they're entitled under international law to have their case heard. And if it is rejected, which is within the country's right, then there's a process for those people to be sent somewhere else. And the United States is actually responsible for that process. We have not put enough resources toward that process, which is why there's this backlog of people. And we have to be better about it. That's why some people have been saying, you know, instead of sending 5,000 troops to the border, we should send 5,000 judges. And yes, that would be a much better approach. So it's not so much abolishing ICE. It's a matter of shifting the energy from the negative and inefficient enforcement. And the other point, and Mike mentioned that that the immigrants typically contribute more to the economy than they take out, and that I believe is true at communities that take in refugees or others almost across the board always do better than other communities. Um, The other thing, though, is that when you look at the actual crime that is associated with immigrants, and MS-13 is the most dramatic example that MS-13 is a gang that was started by people in Los Angeles who were deported. We created enemies because of the way we did law enforcement in the 1980s and many years since. And we basically sent these bad people back to other countries where they got together and came up with bad schemes that have hurt a lot of people there and here. We are creating so many more enemies right now when we should be opening our hearts to the people who are truly in need of help. Okay, so you talked there, Doug, about the 1980s and uh, turning people back or sending people back uh, who had been involved in crime. When we think of the Democratic Party, we think of it as a pro-immigration party. Definitely that's the way that we see it today. But this has only been true for about the last 30 years ago, hence my link back to what you said about the 1980s. a look at support for immigration historically in the US shows that the Republican Party was the party of the immigrant, of immigration reform from Reconstruction until about the 1980s. What forced that change? I think the traditional parameters of the GOP and the Democrats uh, don't exist anymore. Uh, I think, you know, going back uh, to President Clinton, Um, You know, he was a centrist, and quite a few of the policies that he adopted were more like what many Republicans had advocated over the years. And in the same way, uh, you know, I disagreed certainly with George W. Bush on many things, but a lot of his social policies were very similar to Clinton's policies and very similar to the things that Democrats have advocated over the years. And we didn't have that um, that chasm in the middle that we have now. And 
to some extent, right now, it's uh, purely a matter of taking the opposite side of whoever you're against, which is a terrible way to make policy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We will, between now and June the 23rd, make one very simple point. When Theresa May says that it is difficult to control immigration as a member of the European Union, she's wrong. It isn't difficult, it's impossible. We saw outside that train station in Cologne on New Year's Eve, well, we saw the mass open sexual molestation of hundreds of women appearing in public. And frankly, if we're prepared to accept, or if Germany and Sweden are prepared to accept unlimited numbers of young males from countries and cultures where women are at best second-class citizens, then frankly, what do you expect? And now Mrs. Merkel has decided that Turkey must become a member of the European Union by 2025 at the latest. So if you vote to remain, ladies and gentlemen, you're voting to go into a political union with Turkey. You are voting to go into a free travel area with 77 million people and rising fast in Turkey. Uh, Mike, when Britain voted to break away from the European Union, we said we wanted to take back control, to control of our money, our laws, and definitely our borders. And that kind of expresses a deep anxiety over immigration when you say control of our borders. Um, what's so wrong with us having a more strict immigration policy? What's wrong with us taking back control of our borders? Isn't that the definition um, of governance? I, I would say, yes, it is. But... Um... As I say, uh, we've been operating under something of a false narrative that the EU does have rules on, on people travelling from the EU into your country in that if they do not 
prove themselves to be economically self-sufficient within three months, they can be sent home. You can send people back to where they came from. But the UK chooses and still chooses not to apply those rules. And uh, certainly from where I'm standing, the reason that they do that is because they want to have more and more people anxious, unnecessarily in my opinion, about people landing on our shores. Uh, they don't send people back so that they can say, we, 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 have, we have too many people. The whole thing about Brexit is that it will prevent or slow down uh, the influx of people from Europe, but they, they are going to be needed to be replaced by people from outside of Europe. There are farmers already this year have been ploughing food back into the ground because they don't have the people to get it out of the ground. Uh, and they are crying out for immigrants. They are crying out for people to come. Um, and the reason being that, okay, maybe the conditions or the wages or both aren't um, seen as attractive for people here. But these people, uh, these farmers uh, have a very real problem. They're saying, we, we, don't, we can't get the people. We're having to throw away food because we can't get out of the ground. Um, so it's not fair to say, it's not fair to say that these people are coming without being wanted to be here. They are necessary to be here and they're welcome to be here. But uh, certain political areas paint them as uh, a bad thing rather than a good thing. Even, even this week, um, the deal that's now being drawn up uh, between the UK and the EU, uh, Theresa May's first line, whenever she discusses it, is this is a good deal because it gives us back control of our borders. And people she's seen are saying, yes, but we want those, those people to come here because we need, the, we need the workers. Obama had a separation policy. We all had the same policy. I tried to do it differently, but Obama had a separation policy. But people don't like to talk about that. So said the president of the United States to reporters. Doug, isn't it true that we frame Trump as the anti-immigration politician, somewhat of an aberration, when in fact Obama deported statistically more people during his eight-year administration than any other US president? So you've mixed a bunch of things into the same thought there. So let's separate it out a Mm-hmm. Quite, quite, quite deliberately. Well, I did it quite deliberately. You're, go you're on. obfuscating the same way that some of the Republican politicians are doing. And we're, ne we're never going to solve anything unless we look at the facts. So um, it is true that President Obama oversaw an administration that deported a record number of immigrants, close to 3 million people between 2009 and 2016, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, although... If people come here illegally and have no justification for being here, then it's reasonable to deport them. That's the law. Um, but it is completely false to say that the child separation is a result of actions by President Obama because uh, the law has always allowed the border enforcement people to separate children when their parents are suspected criminals. The difference is that under the current administration, they've changed the definition of criminal. Under President Trump, any immigrant is presumed criminal until they prove that they're not. 
and we all know how hard it is to prove a negative. So on that basis, anybody who comes to the border, oh, you're under arrest, and we take your children away. That's not what happened under President Obama. There were, you know, a smallish number, comparatively, of children taken away. Maybe a hundred. I actually don't know the number, but it's, you know, Trump has separated thousands of children and did it in such a bad way that some of those children may never see their parents again. That's horrifying. It is. It is. It is truly horrifying. And it always always beggars belief for me that uh, this administration has really been able to get away with that. Yes, there's the Ferrari when it first came to light that this is actually what's happening, but there's been so much news, so much, um, dare I say, shit happen that people have almost right. kind and of we forgotten. We still have several that. hundred children who are but, separated from their parents, and we have parents who may, may never get to their children again because of the duplicitous actions. Of this leadership, I think one thing that's been uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, go on, Mike. I think one thing that's that, that's starting to uh, happen now uh, from this side of the Atlantic is it's becoming more visible. Uh, more reporters over uh, your end, uh, from uh, Jim Acosta, I think it was, uh, to other ones more recently, are starting to question Trump's narrative openly to him, which is is, is certainly new from from where we're standing. And this week, um, the tear gassing of women and children who are not over the border, but still in their own, well, in Mexico, um, has been all over the news here. And it's coming across pretty badly. So the narrative is starting to, let's hope, to, uh, turn a little bit that these things are being seen for um, the, the, the wrong actions that they are. Uh, Doug, one of the things that I don't quite understand, so we have this belligerent, bloviating idiot in the White House. But the majority of Americans want to see a pathway to legal status for the 11 million undocumented immigrants that are currently in the country. And and this is kind of proven by the fact that thousands of Americans showed their support for immigrants last year when they showed up at airports to protest at Trump's executive order banning immigrants from uh, seven majority Muslim countries. With that in mind, and with the Republicans' anti-immigration stance, um, it would kind of make sense if nativism was truly on the rise in the States. But kind of contrary to conventional wisdom, it's not. Um, So why is it that we have, let's say, many Americans who are um, pro-undocumented immigrants having some kind of pathway so they can stop into the country? We have business which is largely supportive of immigration but still uh they get shouted out by this republican base why is it that the the politicians of the left and of the center and moderate republicans can't formulate um a strategy to uh combat the loud shout the loud shouts of that 30 percent as you said uh of the u.s population which is that republican base So this is where the United States Constitution and the brilliance of our ancestors setting up the two-house Congress uh, comes into play. Uh, If you look at the distribution of immigrants in the United States, both legal and illegal, and if you look at the distribution of sentiment toward immigrants in the United States, uh, 
there is a very clear uh, explanation. The pro-immigration majority, which is about 65% or so, there was a recent survey that showed that uh, yeah, 65% of Americans uh, believe that uh, immigrants strengthen the, the, the U.S., not weaken it, and uh, you know, fewer than 30% think it's a burden. However, those pro-immigrant voters are mostly along the East Coast and West Coast and in the major cities, Houston, Dallas, Chicago, Detroit, and so on. The rest of the areas are rural. Many of them have been typically very Republican. And these are the people who voted for Trump in 2016. And these are the people who gave the Republicans an even stronger majority in the Senate come January 2019. All right. So so this is a structural problem of the American electorate as made manifest by, by the Constitution. But, but still, I don't hear enough politicians, um, enough pundits actually really talk about this issue in, in those terms, in those kind of graphic terms, that, that actually most Americans do want this. I understand there might be a logjam in the legislative pr- uh, programme because you have this uh, fervent base of which this is a hot button hot button uh, issue for that there is a, an enthusiasm gap uh, but still you you know if when i switch on my tv i don't get that sense that the majority of uh, americans are actually pro this though pollsters tell you this all the time well the problem is very simply that our media has been focusing on the things that make good tv and much less on the reality. You know, this is, this, again, the same way that Trump got elected was by saying things that were completely false, yet people heard it directly and without the filter, they believed it. If you listen to Trump, you would think crime is, is up in the United States. Crime is down in the United States across the board. Even in Chicago, the murder rate is down by double digits. It's still a problem, but it's not the crisis that the president wants us to believe. And he does that because his base is solid. He is figuring out how to govern with only 30% support. And he's done it. I mean, it's it's working for him. Um, Mike, what's underlying all of this is um, people not wanting change. It's people who are native to one country who are at least citizens or subjects of that country and are settled not wanting change or being afraid of change. And immigration can change the the fabric of, of a society. Now, the 3 million Europeans that already live in Britain will be allowed to stay under May's proposed Brexit deal, but the government will set new guidelines for how many foreigners will be allowed into the country and with what levels of income and what um, from which countries. Uh, free movement within, said May, uh, that is one of the elements, I believe, the vote in the referendum um, expressed and we want to ensure that we deliver that for the british people 
May has emphasised that a Brexit plan would bring to an end the days where anyone in the EU could simply move to London, rent a flat, take a job, etc., as we kind of said before, and use our national health service. Um, Mike, do we in Britain like immigrants? And how exactly would you say that they've changed the UK in the last 70 years? Well, I think... Uh, certainly on a, an individual basis, yes, we do. Uh, th- there is no problem. I mean, uh, the area I'm from, Burnley, uh, being in the northwest, uh, has a reasonably high immigrant population, not for, not necessarily from Europe, but uh, well, certainly more recently from, from Poland and uh, Eastern Europe, but uh, prior to that from uh, the Indian subcontinent, from Pakistan, uh, and on a, an individual basis and in our day-to-day lives, there is absolutely no problem. Uh, this doesn't stop the government from painting the whole non-native uh, UK population as a, a boogeyman that's coming here to uh, simultaneously take our benefits and steal our jobs, which is just a bizarre narrative the more you try to think about it, you know. Um, and um, people who are here now, European people, there are stories of people who have come over and worked in our NHS for 20 years from Europe and have contributed in all that time and are now being told they have to apply for a settled status at their own cost for reduced rights over what they've had, uh, what they've enjoyed up to this point. But they've been contributing for all that time. You wouldn't know that these people were immigrants unless you hear maybe a surname that you think, oh, that's Polish surname. Um, I mean, this is a separate issue now that the only criteria that I can tell that's going to determine whether someone is worthy to come to this country is whether they're earning over £30,000 a year, which is, well, firstly, it means your, your entire worth as a person is written in £10 notes. And secondly, the vast majority of people who come here and contribute to the NHS, for instance, nurses, they don't earn that kind of money. So we're going to be sending back people we not only have relied on for many, many years, but we would desperately want. So the solution that's been presented to the problem, i.e. of, uh, for instance, of um, NHS overcrowding, is going to be made worse because the people who are here aren't the ones using the NHS up. They're the ones working in the NHS. All right, let's end up on this because I think we've uh, we've talked about where our two respective countries share a commonality in terms of its attitudes to immigration. But for me, it, there's been a lack of a campaigning strength uh, on the Labour Party side or on the Democratic Party side, both parties which are left of centre on either side of the Atlantic on this. Um, during their campaign, and Mike, this is for you first, Brexiteers urged voters to take back control, a phrase that encapsulated the ideas of regaining lost authority over immigration and sovereignty. Yeah. It was a key driver of the Brexit vote, while Trump he also frequently talks about control too. Um, can the left find an equally powerful phrase to counter control mike you first it's it's a serious problem um and mainly the problem is that it's a false narrative that that, um yes there's been talk from the right of taking back control of our laws our money our borders 
Whereas, in fact, the deal that we're about to, well, that we're about to argue strongly about in Parliament doesn't take back control of our laws, our borders or our money because we'll still be paying into the EU. We'll still have uh, people coming in because, as I say, business needs it. Right. Uh, dude, I'm on your side, but I believe in your analysis. But we need a pithy slogan, don't we? We need something which, which is as powerful as take back control. Take back control. If you are uh, an old curmudgeon, you're a, you know, a 70-year-old person, you're just retired, and you pick up the Daily Mail, and it's, uh, and it's telling you that marauding immigrants are either in the country or about to hit the country, taking back control is a seductively simple phrase. Can we, on the left, have a phrase which is similarly as powerful? That's the question. Mm. Well, it's a very good question, uh, and I wish I could think of a very snappy answer to give you, because uh, uh, the reality is that uh, we should be uh, putting a very strong argument. But as you say, it's very difficult to come up with uh, a simple, straightforward message that says we, we should be open and we are better when we're open than we should be closed and we're better when we're closed. I, I like that. I think we might have to focus group test it, Mike, but uh, but it's not a bad start. It's not a bad start. Uh, Doug, uh, you've got the last word on this. Those of us who care about the future are in a very challenging situation. It's, you know, every day we're being barraged with headlines of uh, seemingly another atrocious activity. And I just say we must step back long enough to see the big picture, to focus on the larger trends, what's really happening. And we may not be able to convince those 30% of anti-immigrant fervent people to change, but we need to make sure that those of us who believe in treating other people as humans, as they are, uh, that there's more of us and that we speak up and eventually drown out the voices of those who are making decisions based on false beliefs. Um, there has been one phrase that's been used in the UK that does strike home and is short and pithy, and that's that there is more that unites us than there is that divides us. Uh, and that was a phrase that we used quite a lot in um, a couple of years ago when uh, a politician called Joe Cox was murdered. Uh, just prior to the um, referendum campaign. And her husband kind of coined that phrase and said that there is more that unites us than divides us. And maybe that's a message we should be trying to get across. Uh, an absolutely perfect end to an issue which should not have the rancor and the contention that it has on both sides of the Atlantic. It's that time where we throw politics and rancor to one side. We look at the human uh, experience and spirit and try and elevate ourselves whilst re- whilst looking at that. So no politics, no nastiness. Uh, Doug, you're always somebody with you know who looks at uh, looks at the human condition sidewards and and always can see the beauty in it so i'm coming over to you first what's been your takeaway of the last seven days i tip my hat to some researchers at the university of alberta canada who have helped explain why some words are funny 
And I find this kind of research, I'm a bit of a science geek, so uh, I love studies that give us useful information. And uh, understanding why words like upchuck and giggle and guffaw are funny and why people laugh at it is something that we can all use in our everyday life. And, uh, you know, we may all be waiting anxiously for the day that the lummox in the White House <laughs> is gone. But in the meantime, trying to find a guffaw now and then or a jiggly comment here and there would be good for all of us. Good one. Uh, Mike, over to you, sir, in Burnley. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, um, the thing that has really uh, lifted my spirits in the, in the uh, past couple of weeks and uh, upcoming weeks is um, a TV program uh, in, on UK TV uh, called Doctor Who, which uh, has been going for many, many a year. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's made it across to uh, America, has it? Uh, is, is it shown over yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, as you well know, then, uh, the, the latest Doctor, 13 in the series, uh, the latest Doctor is, in fact, a woman. And <gasps> Scandal. it has transformed the thing, uh, particularly for my girl Daisy, who is seven years old and kind of saw some of the, the, the last series, but he's absolutely wide-eyed with amazement that there is now a female doctor. She has written us several little letters, um, and not only is it kind of changed the entire narrative about the thing, that it's got a lot of female, a lot of children, a lot of young female fans now, um, it's also, this series is covering a lot of social history. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, the Doctor arriving in Alabama in 1955 and helping Rosa Parks sit down on a bus seat. Uh, this weekend, just gone by, they covered the 17th century uh, witch trials on Pendle Hill, which I can see from the room I'm sat in. So uh, not only has it changed the narrative uh, in terms of uh, bringing a female perspective to the Doctor, this series, they're bringing a lot of uh, social history in. Uh, and it's uh, proving to be fantastic for my little girl to see. I must admit, I did see the uh, Rosa Parks episode. I had, I've always been somewhat ambivalent about Doctor Who. Growing up, the first Doctor Who episode I can remember was still when it was John Pertwee as the Doctor, and I remember slugs, go, giant slugs going across uh, like the downs. And at the time, I just thought the special effects on this are so bad as a little eight-year-old. I just couldn't watch Doctor Who. However, when it kind of got relaunched back in the UK in the mid-2000s, my children were living in the UK at the time. I used to sit down and watch it with them and and found it enjoyable. And uh, But... I must admit, I've kind of drifted away from it, but I did see that Rosa Parks episode, and I th- and I thought it was great. It was highly enjoyable, and it was a great way of doing history, politics, and pretending that it's sci-fi all all at the same Absolutely. time. You know, I, it, it's very clever, very clever indeed. Um, I've got two takeaways. Um, number one. Um, I was the victim of a random act of kindness. Uh, my car was obviously that dirty that a neighbour decided to wash it for me um, a couple of days ago, which was uh, rather lovely. They, oh, 
what I do is I park it in a certain way when I'm when I'm about to wash it so I can get the hose pipe to it. And so this neighbor obviously seen uh, that that's exactly what I've done. Um, and obviously had a bucket and, and a sponge and, and in the 20 minutes of which I went in after parking the car by the garage to get the hose out, um, decided to uh, wash it for me. So whoever that was, I thank you. Um, and then secondly, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody over the weekend and in terms of it being um a go-to go-to-see film you know it is about the music and 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 about the performance of, of Remy Malik actually as Freddie Mercury as in terms of script writing it's not the best film in the world um you know the story is pretty much one note um you know it, it's a it's an interesting story. Absolutely, go go and see it, but don't expect you know. In terms of the, the great biopics of old, it's not it's not up there in the pantheons of that. It's not something that Oliver Stone would have done, so to speak. But it's highly enjoyable. And um, as as a, as a kind of afternote, so the film starts with uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen about to go on stage at Live Aid in 1985. Uh, they, so they, they they walk out, and then it cuts. To the early 70s where um, Freddie Mercury is in the audience to watch a band called Smile which then becomes when he joins them then becomes Queen and then it ends with the legendary Live Aid performance and I must admit at the time uh, being um, a black teenager uh, Queen was never in my musical wheelhouse and I just thought you know what this is just a bit pants and it's something which musically I've grown to appreciate as, as I've got older but the next day um, I went onto YouTube to watch that Live Aid performance and my god Remy Malik, move for move did Freddie Mercury down to a T when you actually that has been uh, all over the social media here there's been uh, clips of it Absolutely, move for move. It is uh, amazing. It is amazing. And then the first note, uh, the first comment is how many people have come here from seeing the Bohemian Rhapsody film? And there's, I don't know, like 2,000 thumbs up for that. And I had to add mine to that because that's the only reason why I was watching it. And it was, it's absolutely stunning. He, he doesn't necessarily look like Freddie Mercury unless he's got glasses on because Remy Malik has his goggly eyes, has his very big eyes and stuff. And, and you do think, I'm watching somebody pretending to be Freddie Mercury. You don't lose that sense of, uh, of disbelief. But his movement, my God, you know, 10 out of 10 for that. So that's my takeaway of the week. Uh, random acts of kindness and go and see Bohemian Rhapsody for somebody putting in a visual, physical performance, which is absolutely flawless. Uh, Doug Levy, um, you've always, you're always writing something. You've always got some bit of work cooking up. What are you up to at the moment, sir, before we go? Uh, I'm uh, focused on what everybody can do to keep themselves safe in a dangerous environment. So um, things to do to get your home safety plans together, things you can do so you know what to do to get out if you're at a big place and you need to. And these are all things that I hope nobody ever needs, but a little bit of preparation we have seen over the last six to eight weeks, certainly in the United States, is that uh, the people who spend just a little bit of time making sure they've got an emergency kit and know how to get out, 
no matter what the emergency is, you're going to be better off. So please check your smoke detector, get your go kit together, and know two ways out of every place you go. Wise words, wise words indeed. And I did say kind of at the start of the show that uh, the downpour which we experienced in the Bay Area at the weekend absolutely did wash away the last remnants of the smoke. So, yeah, it's very kind of that, that whole thing, the California fires has been very uh, prescient here. Um, Mike, what, what are you up to at the moment, sir? Um, I'm planning for my wedding, which is in February. Um, so uh, lots of things uh, to work out uh, as regards to that. Um, uh, and in fact, um, as Doug's just said about his writing, um, I, I, I haven't had the uh, fortune to do very much writing, but I did write an article about six months ago now for a, 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 a political magazine, a political website here called politics.co.uk. And I insisted they send me my money as a cheque so that I could keep the cheque. But now I'm getting married, I've decided that what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, cash the cheque and buy a a nice bottle of champagne (laughs) to uh, toast the wedding. Uh, So my my first and so far only um, commissioned writing piece uh, is going to pay for a nice bottle of champagne. And of course, Doug and I are invited to your wedding, aren't we? You certainly are, of course. If you can make it over, I'd love to see you. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so, Doug, how can people uh, follow your exploits on social media, sir? On social media, I am at SFDoug on Twitter, and that's probably the best place to pe- uh, for people to find me, SFDoug. And you, Mr. Holden? I'm uh, at MikeHolden42, again, on Twitter, and that is almost certainly the best place to find me uh, anytime anyone wants to see me. And you can follow me and my uh, grammatically incorrect tweets, uh, which bear no relation to the English language, on Twitter at Royfield, quite simply R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. And on the odd occasion when I do tweet as Mid-Atlantic, you can find us where we are at Mid-Atlantic Show. Um, That's been us. Uh, Keep up the good fight. Oh, I did say on the last show that I would read out a list of people who have written us a review Um, reviews are incredibly important because what they do is they expose this show to more listeners uh, because the more reviews that you have on on iTunes uh, the further up the rankings you you, uh, get Um, quite simply this show's overrun a little so I'm not going to do it this this time but I will do it on the next show and I will thank you so if you want to uh, hear your name mentioned on the show why don't you write us a review on apple itunes and you'll definitely will get your name mentioned in the next show we'll see you all again in approximately not two weeks time um because i'm speaking to maximilian alvarez uh, next week about labor relations in the u.s so you'll see me well you'll hear me in approximately seven days time take care remember doing the right things is good politics take care bye-bye Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.